Shri Damodar Janani by Shivaram Swami Chapter 10 Krishna Fells the Arjuna Trees Balena Nishkarshaya Tanvad Ulukam Tad Damo Darena Taro Satkalik Tangri Bando Nishpetatu Skanda pravala vita pokrita chanda shabdo. Dragging behind him with great force the wooden mortar tied to his belly, the boy Krishna uprooted the two trees. By the great strength of the Supreme Person, the two trees with their trunks, leaves, and branches trembled severely and fell to the ground with a great crash. Srimad Bhagavatam 10.10.27 Krishna was lost in thought. His friends whispered, He is in one of those moods again. Is he planning to rob someone's storeroom of milk products? Not with that mortar tied to his waist. Then he is thinking how to get revenge on his mother? He loves her too much for that. I wonder what's on his mind. Whatever it is, you will soon know by what he does or by what he tells us to do. Having relived the history on how the demigods Nalukuvara and Manigriva came to be trees in Gokul, Krishna knew that the initiative was his. Narada Muni had promised the demigods that the Lord would free them from his curse, and Krishna, duty-bound to keep the promises of his devotees, would act according to Narada's will. He would liberate Nalukuvara and Manigriva. Krishna thought, When a superlative devotee like Narada commits me in some way, I am a puppet to their will. Moreover, purified by their offenses, the two brothers' devotion to me is blossoming, and that devotion should now bear fruit. Leaning forward, Damodar began to slowly crawl on his hands and knees, his friends watched. They were like the spellbound audience of a drama, too enthralled to move or speak. Krishna turned their way and smiled. He said nothing, yet his message was clear. Sit still and see what I do now. Krishna's motions flowed in the way that waves move along a lazy river, or in the way a small cloud floats in a gentle breeze. His progress was calm and measured. Were he to move too fast, the sound of the dragging mortar could bring his mother running. If the mortar comes loose, then mother will all be the more upset, and I do not need any more scolding. Krishna recalled her chasing after him with a stick in her hand. He wanted no more of that. Besides, he was just a little boy. If he pulled too energetically, he could run out of strength before he reached the two trees. Yet, despite his languid movements, Krishna was determined to fulfill the conditions of Narada's curse. Because he disseminated devotion all over the three worlds, Narada is very dear to me. For his sake, I will free Kuvera's sons from their tree bodies bless them with supreme devotion, and send them back to their abode. 
to meet Krishna personally is a very rare perfection, for which neither aristocratic birth nor untold wealth qualifies one. But it becomes possible by the will of a pure devotee. And so by Narada's intervention, Nalukuvara and Manigriva became eligible to participate in Krishna's pastimes and to receive his causeless mercy. Krishna moved forward. Sometimes he pulled the mortar, sometimes the mortar moved on its own. By coming in contact with Krishna, both the rope and the mortar assumed spiritual forms and so could act according to their own will. And both wanted to serve Krishna in their own way. The cowherd boys watched in amazement as Krishna's effulgence spread to both the rope and the mortar. Their amazement grew further when the mortar continued to move on its own even when the rope became slack. How is that mortar moving on its own? It is not. It's rolling downhill. It is not rolling. It is sliding and never picking up momentum. Then it's sliding on its own. You are being silly. You are the silly one. How else could it be moving when the rope is slack? Look! Besides, because it is tied to Krishna, he, like the mortar, can do anything. That is true. Look again. The mortar is just like the rope. It is sometimes snaking along on its own. They are both alive. Why not? They are connected to Damodar. Whatever the rope and mortar are doing, it appears that Krishna is heading towards those trees. The distance between Krishna and the Arjuna trees was closing. Observing the Lord approaching, the two trees quivered in anticipation, overjoyed that their term of exile would soon be over. Blowing in the wind, their rustling leaves seemed to say, O oh Lord, we offer our obeisances unto you. Intently gazing at his destination, Krishna thought, Nalukuvara and Manigriva have remained passive observers of my pastimes. They are not yet participants. To fulfill Narada's words, I must draw them into my pastimes. Only with the blessing of my Leela Shakti can they be freed of their sins and be blessed with devotion. Thinking in this way, Krishna contemplated a new game in which the mortar and trees were players. With redoubled determination, he crawled between the two trees, dragging the mortar four cubits behind. The two trees had grown from the same root system, their trunks joining and separating in the forms of an X, from which then they rose vertically. Although they did not intertwine, they touched and so formed a small cave within their trunks. It was that cave through which Krishna wiggled, without touching either tree. When Krishna reached the other side, he kept crawling, all the while looking behind him expectantly. The rope addressed the mortar. Oh, friend, this is where we play our final roles in this pastime, the mortar replied. And what a wonderful pastime it is. Seeing this, the mortar, which had been moving lengthwise, turned sideways, becoming too wide to pass through the opening. In direct contact with Krishna, the mortar knew the Lord's desire. Krishna smiled. Speaking to the rope, the mortar said, Friend, prepare yourself. I am ready. 
the rope that encircled Krishna's waist with Madhya Yashoda's hair ties, and the rope that secured him to the mortar, silken cord used for churning. They were sturdy, but relatively fine, and certainly not up to the task Krishna had in mind. But being in harmony with Krishna's will, the ropes became aglow with inestimable power. Krishna took another few effortless steps while the mortar positioned itself across the two trees, and the rope grew taut. For the first time since they appeared in Raja, Nalakuvara and Manigriva felt the touch of the Supreme Lord via the conduit of the rope and the mortar. They shivered in ecstasy. The cowherd boys were still up the hill, chatting, joking, and fully enjoying Krishna's adventure. What will happen now? Watch and see. Now Krishna's really trapped. Not only is he tied to the mortar, he is now restrained by the trees. He must really know how to get himself into trouble. Must be bad stars for him today. The boys laughed, and as their laughter rolled down the hill, it taunted Krishna. Let us see you get out of this mess. But Krishna merely smiled in their direction, his curly hair hanging over his shoulders. His eyes sparkled with mischief. Then without a word, he placed his left hand on the rope. Was it taut? It was. Did it feel substantial? It did. Summoning all his strength, his lotus face intense, his brow furrowed, his teeth and lips clenched, Krishna tugged at the trees. Although he had suitably exerted himself, because a rope suddenly went slack, Krishna fell back, legs flailing. The cowherd boys roared in appreciation. This was better than they could have hoped for. Krishna sat up. What happened? The mortar was pushing in front with greater strength than he, thus making the rope slack and causing Krishna to fall. It did not want Krishna to overexert himself or to blister his hands with the rope. Krishna's lotus mouth opened in wonder. How amazing were his pastimes. The two trees felt an intolerable pressure leaning against them, pressure comparable only to the weight of the whole universe. Their leaves and branches trembled as an earthquake, and their trunks groaned in pain. Oh, Lord! Oh, Lord! Then gradually, gracefully, the stately Arjunas fell away from the mortar, leaning somewhat to the side so that the branches did not touch Krishna. As they fell, the mortar rolled in between their trunks and came to rest by Krishna's lotus feet. Krishna patted it as he would favorite, as he would a favorite calf. By felling the trees, Krishna again miraculously displayed two contrary characteristics, his unestimable power as a supreme lord and his unbounded sweetness as a little child. This phenomenon, as was seen earlier when no length of rope was able to encompass his chubby girth, this time Krishna had effortlessly toppled the trees. It was a feat displayed by his Aishwarya Shakti. Yet his Madhurya Shakti ensured that his world-chanting role as Yashoda's son was never compromised. The sound created by the falling trees was difficult to describe as it was to comprehend. The Rajvasis would later try to exchange their experiences of it, but they are unable to do so. 
there were two sounds that merged into one. The first was the crack of the trees being uprooted, and the second, the crash of their hitting the ground. The combined vibration could be compared to a terrible cracking of thunderbolts from the Samvartaka clouds, to the unique sound of a large clay pot being punctured, or to the explosion caused by Ashvatthama's Brahmastra weapon. Whatever the tumult was like, it reverberated th through the upper planets, frightened the demigods, and punctured the universal shell, creating a second hole in it. That sound approached the residents of Gokul. They wondered as to its cause. When it reached them, the vibration was so intense as to steal their composure and deprive them of their hearing. The Rajvasis were frantic. In such a state of heightened anxiety by Krishna's will, they all fainted into the arms of the earth, which suddenly turned feather soft. Only Krishna's friends, their hands covering their ears, remained unaffected. They continued to sit where they were, calmly and fearless. But when they tried to stand to help Krishna, they found that they were unable to do so. Yogamaya had immobilized them. Krishna needed some time alone to complete the deliverance of Nalakuvara and Manigriva. Thus the boys remained curiously immobile, like figures in a painting, able only to cast wondering glances at each other. Seated on the ground with his legs spread apart before him, Krishna entertained himself by flicking the rope and watching it wave to the mortar and back. He laughed to see the ropes dancing and to feel the tremor it caused in his hand. Although Krishna could uproot powerful Arjuna trees, he was unable to free himself of his mother's rope of affection. In time, great poets, steeped in devotion, would eulogize this pastime of the Lord with wonderful prayers. Shamang duti kinkini dvani dvaram Ringati ranga padam Karshat shashbad udu kalam karakarat Kara prakara pratam Vishpurja prati arjuna dvayakatat Karajita Kautukat Pariyavrita nirikshanam vrajavudu Lalyasya balam stuve I adore the childhood years of the darling of Raja's women. During this time Krishna's dark blue body was very effulgent, and the bells around his ankles and waist made a jingling sound, kinkini, kinkini. He delighted everyone with the enchanting crawling movements, the same crawling with which he later dragged a mortar. With the sounds, kara, kara, and effortlessly uprooted two Arjuna trees, as the trees made a loud cracking sound, he curiously looked behind himself and smiled. Although eternally liberated, Krishna appeared to be bound to the grinding mortar. Although inconceivably pure, he was tainted by the pastime of stealing. And although the only cause of salvation, he remained bound by the affection of his mother. 
Having toppled two gigantic trees, he now played with the rope and mortar, hiding the treasure of his unlimited powers beneath the ornamented carpet of his childish pastimes. Suddenly, two effulgent forms of Nalukuvara and Manigriva emerged from the fallen trees. Although they had been naked at the time of being cursed, they were now richly attired in celestial clothes, ornaments, and crowns. Narada had ensured that they would not be unclothed when appearing before the Lord. As the demigods rose into the air, their striking beauty radiated splendor throughout the surroundings. Sharing a glance of recognition with each other, they came side by side, uniting the effulgence of their bodies. And although they had lit the four directions with their luster, when the devas approached Krishna, his own brilliance further enhanced theirs. Nalukuvara and Manigriva thought, Here is the Supreme Lord for whom we have been waiting so long. Without hesitation, Nalukuvara and Manigriva descended to the ground and bowed so low that their faces were hidden in Vraja's dust. Rising, they stood before Krishna, and freed of past offenses, they folded their hands and prepared to offer heartfelt prayers. Krishna, Meanwhile, continued to play with the mortar, sometimes pulling it towards him and then again rolling it away. Although he acknowledged their presence with a brief glance, he seemed more interested in play than in demigods. After a moment, Krishna dropped the rope into his lap. Receiving this sign of encouragement, Nalukuvar and Manigriva again bowed their heads, folded their palms, and with voices rolling like thunder began to speak. O oh, Krishna, Krishna, hearing his name, Krishna looked up. O oh Lord, our being cursed by Narada Muni was but your plan to free us from a life of sin. And our being freed by you is Narada's causeless mercy upon us. We deem that everything has been rightly done and we offer our obeisances again and again. Krishna flashed a mischievous smile and in a silky voice replied, Why are you two exalted demigods paying respect to me, a naughty cowherd boy tied to a mortar? O Lord, you may be tied to a mortar, but you simultaneously liberated us. Cowherd boys cannot do that. Only the master of mysticism, the supreme person, can do so. And you are that supreme person, the knower of everything past, present, and future. Krishna clapped his hands and laughed. Why are you making a fanciful tale of me being the master of creation? Can you not see who I am? Nalukuvara understood that the Lord was enjoying their exchange, and he happily obliged. Long ago, long ago when we heard our father speak of your glories, he cited many authoritative texts that reveal the original form of the Supreme Lord, to be one of a gopa. What text did you hear? The Brahma Samhita, for example, in which the Creator states, Ishvara Parama Krishna, Krishna, as the Supreme Controller of all controllers. There are so many persons by the name of Krishna. Manigriva replied, There are, but there is only one who tends the two Surabi cows, who is served by many gopis, and who plays the flute? Krishna turned his head sideways, but said nothing. Yet a nod of his head indicated that he was curious to hear 
what else the demigods had to say. Since Krishna seemed to acquiesce to Manigriva's claim that he was a supreme lord, the two brothers began to glorify he who now sat before them with the innocent expression of an inquisitive child. O Lord, you have mercifully liberated us, and that is befitting, for you were the ultimate cause of our bondage. Are you suggesting that I am responsible for your misdeeds? Nalukuvara answered, We are the immediate cause of our misdeeds, because we misuse our free will. But because you are time, the instigator of all action, because you are the creator, the ingredient in which action takes place, and because you are the controller, the ultimate permitter of action, therefore we suggest that you are the remote cause of our conduct. Krishna smiled. You mean I did everything, and you are both free of all offense? That is not our stance, O Lord. We take responsibility for our misdeeds. But because the scriptures say that you are the material cause of everything, pratigya, drishtantanu parodhat, we think that we are worthy of your grace. In other words, it was Krishna's plan that Narada cursed the two demigods and that they appear as trees in Gokul so that he could liberate them as part of his pastimes. Are you saying, Krishna asked, that because I am in the material world, I am composed of the modes of nature? Oh no, they replied in unison. You are untouched by goodness, passion, or ignorance. There is not even the slightest trace of these modes in you. Your form is absolute, subtle consciousness. You are the most sublime. Krishna distractedly pulled the mortar towards him and then gently kicked it away. The demigods shook their heads in wonder and continued their praise. Indeed, you are so subtle that for we who are bound by transformation, you are practically invisible. Because you are the origin of both intelligence and senses, they cannot perceive you. But because you are endowed with the natural quality of mercy, you have made yourself visible to us. Manigriva added, However, devotees who are transcendently situated know you, or at least they know something of your unlimited qualities. Watching Krishna play with the mortar, the demigods were momentarily confused. Here was the person who remained unfeathered by the ropes of nature, yet who was tied at the waist by his mother. They muttered, Who can understand this? Whether on earth or in Vaikuntha, Krishna's pastimes remain a mystery to all. The devas pondered what they were seeing. He is unlimited and spread everywhere, yet he sits here in the form of a child. He is the most sublime form of eternity, knowledge and bliss, yet his waist is bound by a silken rope. In their bewilderment, the demigods just shook their heads and kneeling before Krishna said, We cannot understand your lordship, and in trying to do so we become confused and disoriented. Therefore it is better that we simply offer our obeisances unto you and chant your names and glories. Krishna stopped playing and turned his full attention to the demigods. You are right. I am the Supreme Lord. But if you fail to know me, then how can you say that I am who you think I am? Krishna's words were enigmatic. They were like the words of welcome with which Lord Narayan confused the highly intellectual Kumaras. Nalukuvara and Manigriva 
or even more bewildered. Seeing their plight, Krishna took mercy on the brothers. He expanded to them his samvit shakti, his potency of cognizance, and empowered them to appreciate a spark of his splendor. Their bodily hair erect in ecstasy, tears gliding from their eyes, the deva sang, Yashabatara gyayante Sharishvara sharinanaha Taister Atulya tisham Vye dehishangatai Sabhavan sarvalokasya Bhavaya vibhavayacha Avatirno amshabhagena Sampratam pati ashisham Appearing in bodies like those of an ordinary fish, tortoise, and hog, you exhibited activities impossible for such creatures to perform. Extraordinary, incomparable, transcendental activities of unlimited power and strength. These bodies of yours, therefore, are not made of material elements, but are incarnations of your Supreme Personality. You are the same Supreme Personality of Godhead who have now appeared with full potency for the benefit of all living entities within this material world. Another Kuvara added, We infer your supremacy by your unparalleled deeds as they are revealed by your incarnations like Matsya and Kurma. Krishna nodded his approval. Another Kuvara continued, Since your incarnations, the avatars, can be identified thus, so can you, the source of all incarnations, the avatari. Krishna asked, On what grounds do you draw this conclusion? Now it was Manigriva's turn. Enlightened, he was eager to praise Krishna. Confined to tree bodies, we stood here for almost 20,000 years. And by Narada's grace, we had full consciousness of your beautiful land. But in these past few years, since your appearance here in Gokula, we have seen you kill Putana, Trinarata, Shakatasura. Those were no ordinary feats. Now the Kuvara interrupted. Recently, we saw you reveal the universe in your mouth, and now you have uprooted our tree bodies, a feat that even a thousand men could not accomplish. Even at this moment, we see you transmit supernatural strength, indeed even life, to the rope and the mortar. Therefore, we can say with confidence who you are. Together they concluded, O merciful one, whose instructions bless the earth with auspiciousness and whose pastimes shower go cool with love. As residents of this land, we too have been blessed in these ways. And so we remain in your debt eternally. Obeisances to your charming childlike lotus feet. Touching their helmets to the ground again and again, Nalukuvara and Manigriva were choked up in ecstasy, and for a few moments they remained speechless, feasting their eyes on the sweet beauty of Damodar.